Lynn Hiles Ministries presents Dr. Lynn Hiles That You Might Have Life. And here's your host, Dr. Lynn Hiles. Welcome back again to the program this week, and I'm just excited about the word that I'm sharing with you over this period of time on the roadmap to Reformation. What a study this has been, even for me, and perhaps, I don't know, I might even turn this into a book, who knows, but it's been a really good study for me. And we are nowhere near finished, but I believe these are vital, vital teachings for us. So I hope you're tuning in every week to follow our our teaching on this. If you have missed any of these, we're talking about Reformation from Ezra, Nehemiah, Haggai, Zechariah, Daniel. All of these guys were contemporaries in the same time, coming back from Babylonian captivity into their restored city and tabernacle and their... uh, uh, people of God being restored. And I, as I begin to study this, I just saw such a tremendous type and shadow and picture of the Reformation that we now stand in. And uh, we've been talking about in the last several weeks the 12 gates of Nehemiah and how each one of these gates speak of a certain piece of the Reformation uh, that uh, would, you know, give us access to what's inside of the city. And, you know, when I think about the rebuilding of the walls that Nehemiah talked about and, and uh, Ezra talked about and all these guys were talking about, you know, I think about uh, the walls. What do they mean? Well, the prophet Isaiah, I believe it is, said, Thy gates shall be called praise and your walls shall be called salvation. And so these families built these walls and revived them out of the stones heaps of rubbish, revived stones out of heaps of rubbish. This hour we are not building a Babylonian brick factory. We're building something out of lively stones that are fitly framed together, and you are part of that building. We are stones that are being fitly framed together, and it takes a master craftsman to find out where this stone fits, and where this stone fits, and how we can fit them on the wall, and how we can revive the stones out of the heap. So we're looking back and seeing, you know, as he surveyed the condition of the city uh, and in its fallen state, I think sometimes we need to go back and see how did we get in this condition so we don't have to repeat it again. You know, it's so, uh, the last several years I've studied a lot about church history and say that we don't repeat the same mistakes over and over and over again because we have this very narrow focus of what happens in this 21st century few years that I'm on the planet. We don't look at the history of how things have worked and didn't work down through the ages and the ebb and flow. What is it that brings decline to the church? What is it that brings reformation? But we're talking about reformation. We've been talking about the 12 gates, and for the last three weeks we've been dealing with the fish gate. Last week I talked about the disciples being called, and I'm going to, what I think I'm going to do is I'm going to read the two uh, stories again and then try to pick up without being real lengthy because I really want to kind of tru- conclude the fish gate this week if at all possible. But uh, uh, in, in uh, uh, Luke's gospel, first of all, Jesus starts out in Luke's gospel And he says this, he says in Luke 5, And it came to pass as the people pressed upon him that the word of God, he stood by the lake of Gennesaret, saw two ships standing by the lake, but the fishermen were going out of them, washing their nets. And they entered into one of the ships, which was Simon's, and prayed him that he would thrust out a little from the land. And he sat down and taught the people out of the ship. Now when he had left speaking, 
He said unto Simon, launch out into the deep. Uh, let me find this one. Launch out into the deep. And Simon answering said to him, Master, we have toiled all night and have taken nothing. Nevertheless, at thy word, I will let down the net. And when they had, had done this, they enclosed a great multitude of fishes and their net break. I want you to notice that. Their net breaks the first time they go fishing. And they beckoned unto their partners, which were in the other ship, that they should come and help them. That's one of the things I do even at the end of this program. We take very little time sometimes to ask you to be a support to this ministry, but sometimes I think I need to take a little more time and beckon with my hand and say we need some partners to help catch the fish that we're catching. And I believe everybody will benefit by that kind of a partnership because we're going to fill up all the ships. One of the things that we've done as a ministry that travels is we plug people into local churches almost every week that follow our ministry. And as a result, sometimes our partners go to local churches and start to support those local churches, which we encourage them to do. But we ask them that sometimes the local churches, the ships, if you will, will partner with us and help us to stay on the air. Sometimes you've got to beckon to the ships and tell them to come and help me. And I'm doing that a little bit this morning. But anyway, they were astonished, verse 9 said, he was astonished at all that were with him and all the drought of fishes which they had taken. And so was also James the son of Zebedee, which were partners with Simon. Jesus said unto Simon, Fear not, from henceforth thou shalt catch men. And when they had brought their ships to land, they forsook all and followed him. So we're showing you that this first one is dealing with especially in Luke's gospel, is dealing with them finding, being called to become fishers of men. So that the fish gate speaks of evangelism. And we talked about in the prior segment how that when they got in the ship, now let me come back and get this to you from uh, another place in the scripture where he starts to give them from the new covenant, and in, in, uh, I believe it is, let me see here, in, in John, in, in, um, uh, John's Gospel, John chapter 21. This is the story of them going fishing after His resurrection. Before the resurrection, they're toiling and rowing. They're toiling all night. They caught some fish, but the nets broke, and Jesus said, I'm going to make you fishers of men. After His resurrection, here's the story. After these things, Jesus showed Himself again to the disciples at the Sea of Tiberias, and on this wise showed Himself. There were together Simon, Peter, Thomas, called Didymus, and Nathaniel of Cana in Galilee, and the sons of Zebedee, and two other of his disciples. Simon Peter said unto them, I go a-fishing. And they say unto him, We also go with thee. They went forth and entered into a ship immediately, and that night they caught nothing. But when the morning was now come, Jesus stood on the shore, but, his disciples, but the disciples knew not that it was Jesus. Then Jesus saith unto them, Children, have ye any meat? And they answered, No. And he said unto them, Cast the net on the right side of the ship, and you shall find. And they cast their net, and now they were not able to draw it for the multitude of fish. And I showed you before the resurrection, they were toiling all night and caught no fish. If you are in an old covenant paradigm trying to catch fish on the bait of an old covenant way of thinking, you're going to toil all night and you're not going to catch very many fish. And when you do, it's going to be like a net with holes in it. But in the new covenant, after his resurrection, Jesus tells them cast their net on the other side of the ship because it's time that we start fishing from the new covenant side. Jesus appears to them after the resurrection. Therefore, that disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, It is the Lord. 
Now when Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he girded his fisher's coat upon him, for he was naked and did cast himself into the sea. Sometimes you've got to commit yourself to the harvest. And the other disciples came in a little ship, for they were not far from land, but as were 200 cubits dragging the net with fishes. And as soon as they come to the land, they saw a fire of coals there and fish laid thereon. And Jesus saith unto them, Bring of the fish which you have now caught. And Simon Peter went up and drew the net to full net to land full of great fishes, 153, for all they were so many, yet was not the net broken. So the net didn't break the second time. Now I've shared with you last week how that Jesus is on the bank of the river. He's already got bread and fish on the fire, and so he's, he don't have a fishing pole. But what I believe this is, is this is Jesus showing them the contrast between when He called them to go fishing, and now they're going to fish after His resurrection, because Peter went back to what they were doing before. But this time Jesus shows up on the bank of the, of the sea, and He has bread and fish on the fire, which I believe is symbolizing He's reminding them of the covenant meal that they had the night before his decease. And I can't go back and review all I said last week, but that covenant meal was a reminder, this bread is my body which is broken for you, and this cup is my blood in the new covenant. And Jesus has the bread and fish on the fire, and He's going to serve them the bread and fish, which is a reminder of the covenant meal. The night before His decease, Peter denies Him three times. And in John's Gospel, Jesus tells or Peter tells Jesus he loves him three times. In the old covenant paradigm when they're fishing, they're tolling and rowing. In the new covenant they throw their nets on the right side and they catch a drought of fish. In the, uh, the, the gospel prior to the new covenant when they're fishing when Jesus calls them, they have holes in their nets. In this side of it, they don't have any holes in their nets. And then Jesus calls Simon when he comes up out of the boat he calls him Simon, son of Jonah, and I shared with you last week how he specifically calls him the son of Jonah because Jesus had made a statement in the Gospels where he said that the sign of Jonah would be that there would no sign be given to that generation except the sign of Jonah, who was three days and three nights and the belly of the great fish. And can I tell you, Jesus was identifying with him, saying that there would no sign be given except, here, let me read it to you. He said, But he answered and said unto them, An evil and adulterous generation seeks after a sign, and there shall no sign be given to it but the sign of Jonas. For as Jonas was three days and three nights in the whale's belly, so shall the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. And the men of Nineveh shall rise up in judgment with this generation, and shall condemn it, because they repented at the preaching of Jonas. And yet, behold, a greater than Jonas is here. Let me just read from my notes. So the sign of Jonah is a picture of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ and the three days and three nights of His redemptive work. Jesus, just like Jonah, went down into the belly of hell and took dominion over fish once again. He caught the big fish, if you will. He got the trophy. I believe the fish represents the human family and all that fell in Adam. And Jesus identified with us to redeem us. Please notice He has already got bread and fish on the fire, and He doesn't have a fishing pole. It is because He has revealed uh, or he has reeled in the big fish. He caught the whale. I think that's incredible. But I want you to see that when Jesus is on that bank, He's talking about catching fish in the new covenant. Now one of the things 
that I wanted to share in this segment especially is that Jesus calls them in a certain place and He finds them when He calls them, they're mending their nets. And they are mending their nets so that they don't lose fish. Now I want to, I want to show you that the word mending, this was to me was such a powerful, powerful thing. But uh, in in chapter uh, in in chapter number uh, Luke's gospel, they were they were when Jesus finds them again, they're in another place and they are mending the nets. And uh, uh, Jesus calls them to come and dine. But what I want you to see is that this word for they were mending their nets. I, I, this was so powerful to me when I was studying yesterday for this. The Greek word for mending their nets is the Greek word katar. I can't hardly say, kataratazantas, it is number 2675 in Strong's Concordance. And this same Greek word, I put it in my English search on the word to see how else this word, this Greek word, kataratazantas, is used. And the first one that came up was this, and I thought this was so powerful about mending the nets. This is the phrase, mending the nets, but this is how it's translated in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 10. It said, Now I beseech you, brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you shall speak the same thing, and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be perfectly joined together in the same mind and same judgment. The phrase perfectly joined together is the same exact Greek word as mending the nets. And you say, Well, Brother House, how in the world does that connect? Because I believe the net that needs to be mended today is the church of the Lord Jesus Christ needs to start mending the holes in the nets because we are so divided in the body of Christ that we are losing fish. And what He's doing is calling us back to a place of unity. You know, I really believe, and I don't do much, uh, especially in a public forum, about political things, but... Not only is our country divided, I believe the country is divided, but I believe it's really an offshoot of what's happening in the spirit of the church. The church is so divided. We've got so many ideas and concepts about everything, and they become things that divide us. But as I started even thinking about how Ezra and Nehemiah built, and the people that helped them build this wall, that each person built a different section of the wall. Listen, we may not all join stone to stone, but there's a place in the body of Christ, I believe, for a whole lot of different ideas. And I think sometimes we need to just sit down and discuss some things. You know, I, I am today preaching stuff that I thought years ago, because sometimes truth makes you mad before it makes you free. Some of you may be watching me and you're stretched by what I'm saying because it challenges you. But, you know, I think sometimes we said, you know, I was watching, I was telling my son just before we came on uh, uh, the air, watched a, uh, a, a documentary that I highly recommend on Netflix called The Social Dilemma. And it was talking about how when we get on Facebook that there are algorithms, whether it's Facebook or Twitter or any of these other uh, uh, social media platforms, 
And the algorithms sense what our bent is. What, in other words, what our, in other words, if we are conspiracy theorists, they offer you these videos and different things that will uh, be to your liking because they're trying to get you glued to that screen so that you will buy what they're advertising and to keep you coming back. The problem of that is, is that it keeps on these. Uh, I saw these guys who were heads of these companies saying we had no idea what this was going to create because it, if you buy into, for instance, uh, conspiracy theories. It will feed you all kind of conspiracy theories until the first thing you know, you got somebody storming a pizza place that's going to kill somebody over something that they heard that may or may not be true because the truth of it is somehow we seem to believe everything we see on Facebook. Now, I don't want to get in arguments about all that. I'm just trying to simply tell you that sometimes I think we need to stretch our thinking beyond the walls of what we think because the church, I think, so many times the reason we're not effective and we're losing fish is because we're famous for what we're against and not what we're for. When somebody asks us what we believe, we tell them what we don't believe in. We don't believe in this. We don't believe in that. We don't believe in that. We don't believe in the other thing. And what we're doing is we, we've become unbelievers because we've never taught people anything to believe. But I believe as we get broad enough, you know what? When you make a net, it's because you tie a knot where you cross each other and hold on. I think sometimes, you know, as I've traveled, I'm a student. I go to places that don't believe exactly like I do, but I don't make that a, you know, a method for criteria for, you know, of course, I realize I'm not everybody's cup of tea and everybody's not where you're at uh, at the same time. But I've got to tell you, man, there's going to be people that are entry level, that are going to win people to the Lord. There's going to be people that, that are at the fish gate. Then there's going to be people that are going to be at the fountain gate, that are uh, the flow of river. And there's there going to be people that are part of the teaching centers like Ezra was. Then there's going to be people who are builders on the wall like Nehemiah was. Listen, just because you've got a different function don't mean we need to be divisive and divided because the body of Christ should be in the earth as a city set on a hill that cannot be hid. So when he says to them, be perfectly joined together, that what he's talking about is mending nets. Man, it's a time to mend nets. The same word is translated in this verse, Galatians 6, Brethren, if any man be overtaken in a fault, you which are spiritual... Restore. This word restore in this text is the same Greek word as mending. That you that are spiritual, restore such in one in the spirit of meekness, considering your own self, lest thou also be tempted. So he's talking about mending nets as being able to restore brothers who are overtaken in a fault. One thing that I love about the gospel of grace, it allows you to be a little bit more transparent. I think we're getting more more closer to being able to be transparent with each other. You know, once again, I've said to you, the city of God in Revelation is not a place, it's a people. It's the bride, the lamb's wife. But one of the characteristics of that city, it's as clear as a crystal. In other words, you can have transparency. See, I think we've made the gospel so exclusive that we've drew circles that make insiders and outsiders. But if you ever read the gospel of Luke, it was Jesus showing that Samaritans are included, publicans are included, tax collectors are included, people that you weren't supposed to touch under the Old Testament are included, the lepers. In other words, let's get big enough to realize that if we're going to catch fish, it's up to us to catch the fish. It's up to Him to clean them up once we catch them. We don't have to clean them up. 
He cleans them up. And as I shared with you before, there was a man by the name of Hananiel who built up unto the fish gate, whose name means grace, and it's grace from the sheep gate to the fish gate. It's grace all the way around because it's grace that brought us safe thus far, and it is grace that will leave us on, lead us on. It is this phrase uh, in in First Thessalonians chapter three verse ten. He said, "The day, night, and day, praying exceedingly, that you might see that that we might see your face and might perfect that which is lacking in your in your faith." The word that we might perfect, might perfect, is the phrase using the same Greek word as mending. Number twenty six seventy five and Strong's Concordance. So one of the things, again, that's going to mend our net is when we uh, uh, have a time where we might perfect that which is lacking in our faith, if you will. And then it is used again in Hebrews 10, verse 5, where it said, Wherefore, when he cometh into the world, he says, Sacrifice and offering, thou wouldest not, but a body hast thou prepared me. Hast thou prepared me is the same Greek word used again. So the body that's prepared, first of all, this is talking about Jesus in His redemptive work. You've prepared for me a body. But I think as we begin to put these words together, when we see that in Corinthians it means to be perfectly joined together. In Galatians it means to restore a brother who has been overtaken in a fault. And, uh, and we find then in 1 Thessalonians 3 that it means that we might perfect that which is lacking in our faith. And then in Hebrews 10, 5, it is that thou hast prepared for me a body. It is a time, I believe, when we see, for instance, uh, and, and there's one other verse, let me get it, and then I'm going to try to not be reading anymore. The, the phrase is used in Hebrews also, I believe it is, uh, 11.3, we understand that the worlds were framed by the Word of God. The word framed there is the Greek word mended. Even the ages, He framed the ages by the Word of God. Even the ages are a great net for God to catch fish. His plan engulfs the ages. But His method is a great net called a body that He's prepared. A church, a people that become a net, that becomes a network that may not all be in the same boat, but have to use other ships and, if you will, fellowships in order to bring in the harvest that we need to quit pushing each other away and beckon and say, we need some partners. We need to restore some stuff that's been overtaken in faults. We need to stop the division and the divisiveness. We fall out over sometimes the silliest stuff. And sometimes as I look through the 15 or so thousand followers that I have on social media, and I see the divisiveness and people taking the sword, which is meant to give life, and cutting each other's ear off and killing each other and attacking each other and calling each other names. And even over this whole political divide that we've been in, we're better than this. And as the body of Christ, listen, I believe those, those uh, issues are important in their place. But I'm going to tell you what, divided we fall. Together we stand. We are better together. And listen, while we may not be able to change what's happening in the political world, and yet at the same time, I'm calling politicians and leaders to stop the divisiveness. Let's find out what we do agree on. Let's come together on our common union. Listen, when uh, Ezra and Nehemiah, especially Nehemiah said, arise, 
chapter 2, this is one of the beginning things we said in the beginning of this series was, Arise, let us build. That's the word of the Lord in this season. Not divide, let's arise and build. Build what? Let's build bridges for relationships to be healed. Let's build bridges for racial reconciliation. Let's build the family. Let's build up the local church. Let's build up ourselves in the most holy faith. And while we may not be able to do something on a grand scheme, we can build bridges to people that we have relationship with. Listen, the, the, the message of the hour is not about race, it's about grace. And it's not about your ethnic background and the things that divide us. And yet at the same time, and we have these conversations, we can bring healing because every person that's white is not bad, and every person that's black is not bad, and every person that's Hispanic is not bad, but we want to pigeonhole and let the media divide us and point us to, like, put us all in the same boat. And the reality of it is when I look around my neighborhood and I look around my family and I look around my friends and the sphere of influence that I have that's pretty large, I don't find everybody in the same lump. There's mostly good people. There's a lot of good in the world. There's a lot of good in the body of Christ. We magnify the bad. And even sometimes when we preach, we're always preaching what's wrong with the church rather than what's right with it. But let's build some bridges. Let's mend some nets. Because if we don't, we're going to lose some fish. And I don't know about you, but I'm tired of losing fish. I believe we're standing in an hour of reformation where the church is either going to reform or it's going to fall into decline further. People are leaving churches by the droves. They're tired of the same old, same old church as usual that's not meeting any of their needs on the level that they need to be engaged. And they turn to the church even sometimes for good news, and instead of getting good news, they get the bad news behind the bad news. But I like what Zechariah said, Return to me, you prisoners of hope, because of the blood of your covenant. It's like water to those that have been like prisoners in a pit, and we can return as prisoners of hope. My heart is full of hope. Again, as we begin this new year, I believe, I'm I'm praying, believe in God. I want you to stand with me as well that this pandemic begins to go and we can begin to regather again because it's important for us to be together and that we begin to call people back again into the local church and to plug in where you fit on the wall and find your place in the building of this house. And you, you take your section of the net and you mend it and you connect where you connect. I'm not trying to say everybody connects in the same place. But I've noticed even as I've studied over the years, I've studied other denominations, writers from other streams, and find these guys have something to offer that adds something to me, but at the same time I have something to add to them. I believe that's why God put us in a body, because no one of us alone have it all together, but collectively we comprise the body that He has prepared and the house that He's prepared as a city set on a hill that can't be hid. Let's bring some people in through the fish gate and bring them into the grace of God and see God just bring in a great drought of fish where we don't lose any. Do you love Him? Feed His sheep. Well, we're about out of time. I want to thank you for tuning in and watching this segment on the fish gate. This will conclude what I have to say about the fish gate. We'll start next week with another gate. But if you need to, if you'd like to, sow a seed into the ministry by going to our website at lenhouse.com. There's a place where you can give via credit card 
or debit card or write to the address that will come on the screen, Lynn House Ministries, and send a check or money order if you'd like to support this ministry. Or you can call the number that will come up on the screen. Someone will take your call. If you don't get an answer, leave your message. We'll call you back. God bless you. Thanks for joining us. I am excited to announce the release of my latest book titled The Great I Am. In this book, we will explore the seven times in the Gospel of John that Jesus says, I am. When he uses that phrase, it is always in contrast to something from the Old Covenant. For instance, they thought Moses and the law was the door into the sheepfold, but Jesus said to them, I am the door. They thought that Israel was the true vine, but Jesus said to them, I am the vine, you are the branches. As you read the pages of this book, you will discover that Jesus removed the covenant of death and replaced it with the covenant of life. Get your copy of the book, The Great I Am, today.